Good morning. So glad that you're here. Uh, thanks again for joining. Uh, looking forward to sharing some questions and responses and discussion. Um, we'll start with a short sit. Um, so why don't you go ahead and find a comfortable position. Just kind of settle in. Find your posture. Do whatever helps you to shift gears. Just feeling the weight of the body, letting your body rest on the earth. And temporarily setting aside any concerns, plans, projects, or issues. Allowing your awareness to receive the fullness and totality of your experience in this moment, the body, the heart, different sounds and thoughts. And in your own time, beginning to relate to your anchor. So like you spotted an old friend in a crowd. Oh, hey, there you are. Starting to tune into the breath or touch points in your body. And just letting things settle in your own time with that experience of the anchor.
as we sit quietly. I just invite you, if you want, to listen inwardly and see, is there anything in your practice that you need clarification about? Some point of confusion or lack of clarity about the instructions, how to practice in a particular situation. And if there is, what's the clearest, most succinct way you can ask that question? Just inviting this contemplation and seeing what comes. to see each of you, your names, your faces. Uh, We'll move into our uh, Q&R question and response. Uh, This practice is about uh, discovering the the truth for ourselves. So I can't give you any answers, uh, but I can share from my own understanding and experience what's been helpful for me and uh, hope that that's supportive to you in uh, investigating your own experience. So, uh, so the question is, uh, when meditating, is a, a high-pitched ringing sound in the in the mind, and uh, how to practice with that, noticing that the attention goes back and forth between the sound and your meditation object. Um, so, this is actually a very common uh, experience. It's even the name for it, and uh, it can be its own meditation. Uh, sometimes it's called the um, the nada sound or the sound of silence, and um, it can it can come and go in practice. Sometimes it arises when the mind's very quiet and calm. Other times uh, it can just come for apparently no reason and then fade away. Um, but it's an inner sound rather than an outer sound. And uh, there are different ways of practicing with it. As I said, it's um, it's its own meditation, not just in different contemplative traditions. Uh, so if it's very strong and clear, you can make that inner sound the object of your meditation. So say you're working with the breath, or I think you mentioned the body. So you would, when the sound arises, if you wanted to explore this, you would let go of the other object you're working with. Let's say it's the body, some sensation or body scan. And instead, you would attune your awareness to just hearing and receiving the sound. And make that your meditation object. Give all of your attention to the sound and just keep staying with it. Anytime the mind wanders, you come back to it. 
um, and allow the sound, allow your, your attention and kind of all of your energies and awareness to gather and collect around the sound. The mind can get very still and concentrated because it's so prominent and consistent. Uh, and then from there, you can, you can use that stability of mind for different purposes. You can use it for insight to explore, investigate your moment to moment experience more, let go of the sound, open to other experiences, um, look more deeply into a particular, um, question or aspect of awareness, examine the experience of concentration itself. What is this made of? What are the qualities present? Uh, or you can go more deeply into the concentration, into states of absorption of jhana practice. Uh, so that's if you want to use the actual not a sound itself. If you don't, you, or you explore that and then you don't want to go further with that, then just treat it like hearing, which it sounds like is what you're already doing. And just let it be there in the background. Sometimes it might get quite strong. In, and then in the same way, just like if a strong sensation came up in your Vipassana practice, you would be aware of that for some time and then maybe come back to the breath as it fades or if you need a break. So you can just treat it like any other um, object of awareness or any other experience internally and still stay focused on either your primary object or the changing flow of experience in your in your Vipassana practice. Sounds like... Sometimes when you're with it, it brings up other emotions. It brings up sadness, strong emotions, or you'll lose your focus. Yeah? So, again, I would just um, include all of that in your practice. There's nothing wrong with any of those experiences. It sounds like some of them are just a little bit unpleasant, like the sadness or uh, feeling triggered, strong memories coming up. All of that's okay. You just want to bring the tools of the practice to bear on those experiences. So in some ways, it sounds like this could be a very fruitful investigation and exploration for you. So you're with the sound for a while. See what comes up. Some strong sadness comes up. Okay, let go of the sound. Be with the sadness. Make space for it. Breathe. Feel it. What does this have to teach me? What does this want from me? Be available and present to... Um, uh, bring tenderness and a listening, patient understanding to that experience, whatever it is that arises, and, and continue to be with whatever unfolds moment to moment. The, the key is you want to stay balanced. So if something feels really strong uh, to the point that it's overwhelming or flooding, that's when you want to back away. Uh, reground with your anchor, widen your attention to sound, even open the eyes until you have enough equanimity and balance to be with and explore whatever that experience is. One person is asking, uh, I'm trying to homeschool my two teenage boys and often getting angry and frustrated with them. Uh, I try not to react in anger, but at times I do. What do you recommend to come back from that after the moment? Uh, thank you. I'm sure there's a lot of other parents out there who could relate to uh, to your question. Um, this is a very, uh, I think it's a very powerful moment in um, not just our own individual practice, but also our relationship with, uh, with younger people, with children, um, when we lose it. Right when we're not coming from our intentions, it's a, it's a teachable moment, 
and um, how we relate to ourselves and to the other person um, can be a real uh, offering, a real gift to model a mature relationship with our emotions. So to be able to acknowledge, and perhaps you're already doing this, to take responsibility for, you know, I'm sorry I got angry. It's not where I want to come from. Um, how was that for you? Is there anything you need me to hear, understand about that? You know, so first taking responsibility for your own, not only the, the emotion, which is not the issue, but the reactivity, the, the moment that the emotion took over and you expressed it reactively. So taking responsibility for that, acknowledging any impact, stating your intention where you want to come from, and then being open to any to receiving any response or any feedback. There's so much that we teach children in that moment. We teach them that it's okay to get angry, that it's okay to make mistakes, uh, that it's okay to have a rupture uh, we can repair it. That the only one of the things that we tend to do uh, when we don't have the skills to navigate uh, a disconnection in relationship is that we pretend it didn't happen. We just go back to normal. That was what happened in my family. A lot of the times there'd be some kind of big blow up and there'd be this awkward silence for a little while, depending on how big the blow up was longer or shorter and then slowly everyone would just start talking again as if nothing had ever happened and that was really destabilizing and frightening for me as a child like did something really like bad just happen and no one's talking about it i'm not suggesting that's what you're doing but i'm saying that's one of the patterns uh, we ignore it or we just say i'm sorry i got angry and then move on very quickly so actually giving your full attention to that experience of where we are now, I feel regret, I feel humbled, uh, I want to know how you're doing, what do you need from me, and in that process, we, we learn something together. I think once the relational field is addressed and repaired to some extent, we've taken responsibility for our actions, we've made ourselves available to hear and receive the impact on the other person, then there can actually sometimes be a review of the conditions that led to our outburst to say, you know, I'd like to talk a little more about why I got so angry so you can understand so we can work together better because here we are stuck at home. We're going to be doing this for a while. What was going on for you? Here's what was going on for me. Here's what I need. Here's what would be supportive for me. What is it that you need? Why, you know, I'd like to understand more about why you said that or why you were doing that. And then we can get underneath the actual details of the situation to how we're both operating and why and begin to shift the relationship dynamics by making some agreements for how we deal with each other and how we relate to our habits and preferences and ways of expressing ourselves that hopefully can be more conducive. We can even ask for support. So to say, you know, it's no fun for me to get angry and blow up at you. I'm guessing it's no fun for you. Maybe next time, if you notice me getting agitated, I would really welcome you pointing it out and saying, hey, mom, do you want to take a breath for a moment? 
that would be a real contribution to me. Is that something you feel like you would like to do, you would like to offer? And so now we're in a partnership around co-regulating, supporting each other, recognizing that sometimes it's too much for us to handle on our own. And we need that reflection and support from someone else outside of us who can see us getting agitated. And the follow-up was when the emotions or the angers are really strong afterwards, the brain feels kind of fried, foggy. Other than taking deep breaths, how do I come back from that? Um, so a couple things. So one, on the relational side, I know this wasn't your specific question, but I want to address it. Part of the modeling is being able to take a break and take space, right? Just to be able to say, I just lost it. I'm sorry. I think I need a few minutes to come back to myself before before we can continue. And then taking your space, taking the space that you need. And again, modeling that self-responsibility of acknowledging where we're at. It's okay to feel flooded. It's okay to take a break. In addition to taking deep breaths, um, what you're dealing with is your nervous system got... Uh, dysregulated, the activation was higher than the capacity to integrate and tolerate it. So some of the things that can help, uh, connecting with your sensory environment. So orienting, looking around, connecting with your eyes, letting your head and neck move. This is uh, actually stimulates particular nerves in the central nervous system that help to calm the body. So noticing visually uh, your surroundings and really taking them in not just scanning, but actually seeing the colors, the shapes, looking at anything that's pleasing. Uh, similarly, uh, smelling, hearing, touching, tactile sensation. You want to come back into your senses. That's going to ground. That's going to ground you in the body and in the moment. Um, doing some, doing some uh, gentle movement coordinated with breathing can allow some of the adrenaline and energy that's been stimulated to settle. So you don't need to go to a Qigong class to do this. You just kind of find a, a simple repetitive movement with your hands or your body, for example, moving your hands out, bringing them back together. And then just do that with your breathing naturally. Just let your body breathe in, let your body breathe out. You can do it sideways like that. You can do it up and down, raising the hands up, letting them settle down, um, anything like that. So those are those are a few ideas. Maybe the, the last one would be talking to another person. So talk to your husband or partner, pick up the phone, pet the cat. Any, any kind of relational contact will also settle and calm the nervous system. Thank you. So another question here, as I become friendlier with my resolve to practice, I'm feeling some judgment of others come up. Have any guidance about how to respond to that judgment? That sense of I'm doing so much to be okay with this and accept this, why can't you? There's, there's different aspects of this that I think might be useful to look into when we notice that resistance to another's experience coming up in the judgment. Um, so one is look to the discomfort and pain you're in. And oftentimes when we're projecting that judgment outward, it's because there's something we're not wanting to fully experience, right? So... What is it that you are reacting to in their behavior, in their 
uh, self-expression and their mental state or mood or emotions. So you look for the stimulus. What is it I'm reacting to? And, and what then what's my experience? You know, I feel angry. Do I feel overwhelmed? Do I feel annoyed, irritated? Can I bear with the discomfort I'm experiencing? That's mine. That's not theirs, right? If they're feeling anxious or overwhelmed, why is that? Why does that agitate me? Right. So what happens is our, um, of course, we are empathic relational creatures. We we affect each other. We feel a response to that. Something inside resonates, and if we're in an intimate relationship, we feel very close. We care about them. But notice the way your own center gets pulled into what they're experiencing or how you get thrown off by their emotions or actions. And can you maintain your own center even in relation to their distress or discomfort or anxiety or whatever it is they're experiencing? So that's one aspect of it is is looking to your own reactivity and the resistance to experiencing that discomfort that may be driving the judgment. The, the logic, the unseen logic goes something like, well, if you were okay, I wouldn't have to feel this. So get your act together. So that's one aspect of it that I would encourage you to uh, take time with and bring into your practice and bring into your formal practice and bring into your relational practice. So as you are in the same space with your partner or this family member, um, as you feel the, the heat and the discomfort and the frustration of whatever they're, wherever they're at and what you determine they are not doing that they should be doing, feel your hands, feel your feet, take a breath, reflect on the equanimity phrases. We each have our own path. Your, you have your path and I have mine. Right? I want you to be happy, but I can't make your choices for you. It's this very subtle relationship of still caring, having the heart open, but not overstepping our bounds in terms of trying to control someone else's life. So this is one aspect of it. The uh, being with your own discomfort, maybe a second aspect I could kind of carve out would be that equanimity reflection about the the boundaries and limits of our control and influence. I think the third piece is the care. Right? We, we don't judge things we don't care about. If you didn't care, it wouldn't register. So if there's some feelings there, some judgment there, it means we, we care about something. So see if you can listen for the care. Feel the love, the concern in your heart for this person. I'm guessing some of it is not just, I don't want to feel uncomfortable. I don't want you to suffer, right? There are things you could be doing, and I so want that for you. So connecting with the depth of your own care and the longing for them to be well and happy and not suffer and holding that with tenderness, allowing that to come to the fore. So those are a few ways you can, you can work with it. So another question about anchors and techniques. Uh, what do I think of using multiple anchors while meditating, like paying attention to the breath, bodily sensations, and sounds? Uh, thank you for the question. It's a 
important common question. Uh, I, I'll respond in three different ways here because uh, we're each different and different situations call for different ways of practicing. Um, it depends a lot on what's happening in your practice. So to begin, the general guidance is to use one anchor at a time. That's why it's called an anchor. Uh, it's a primary object. And the function of the anchor is to steady and stabilize our attention. And the way that works is through the simplicity and single-mindedness of intent. If one anchor, it's very simple. You know where to come back to. All of the intention is gathering around, let's just do this. Let's just be with this, whatever that anchor is. Now, you can have backup anchors. Michelle McDonald calls it a plan B and a plan C. Sometimes that primary anchor changes on you in a way that it's no longer useful as an anchor. The breath becomes uncomfortable or tight. Um, the sounds you're using become quite jarring and unpleasant because the sounds around you have changed. So you can shift to a second or third anchor when the primary anchor is no longer supportive. I know that's not your specific question. I'm just trying to paint some context here. The next thing that can happen uh, is sometimes experience appears in layers. It, it's as if this is, for many of us, the, the most common way we experience the sensory realm is not so much as distinct, discrete moments of different senses. For example, now I'm hearing, now, now they're seeing, now there's a thought, now they're seeing again. We don't experience it discontinuously. We experience it as a multidimensional, you know, there are these layers and everything seems to be happening at once. So I can be aware of the breath and it seems as if sounds are happening at the same time in the background, thoughts are happening at the same time in the background. So when you ask the question, can I have multiple anchors while meditating? One of the things that can happen, and this can be useful sometimes, is you're with, say, a primary anchor like the breath, but you're loosely aware of the body a little bit in the background. So that can be a helpful way of practicing, of having a, a something in the foreground, but also you're, you're holding a wider frame, whether it's the body or sound or metta, for example, having a sense of really attending to the tone of kindness and warmth in the heart. Another way of practicing with multiple anchors uh, can be moving from one to the next. So you're with each individually, but you're cycling between them. This can be a useful way to bring up energy in the body. If you're feeling very sleepy, the mind is dull, give it something to do. Go from the breath to a touch point in your hands, to a touch point in your knees, uh, to sound, back to the breath, and so forth. And cycle through a few moments with each, maybe you know, a few seconds, a few seconds. Bring up energy, gives the mind something to do. Those would be the ways that I would suggest using multiple anchors. Personally, I don't encourage um, trying to keep them together with equal strength in the, in the foreground. Um, I haven't myself been taught that way or found that useful in my own practice. So I would 
I would discourage against trying to say be aware of both the breath and body sensations and sounds all equally at the same time uh, as a form of practice. That's not to say that you know experience can change. How we experience things is very mutable, and if in your practice you notice that that is happening on its own, it's like the breath is right there and sounds and the body all seem to be happening at the same time, that's fine. You don't need to change that experience. But I wouldn't encourage trying to focus on all three of those at the same time equally. I don't think that's going to serve a sense of the mind uh, settling. But that's just my opinion, my training and experience. I heard your teaching on resolve and how we can tend to jump from one thing to another. I find myself unable to settle on an anchor. I have an issue with controlling the breath and jump around, never happy with any anchor. Any suggestions? Yeah, yeah, definitely have some suggestions. Thank you. Thank you for the question here. So I think the first thing is that uh, it is very common to think that we need to control the breath or our experience to get the mind to settle. And as you're noticing, it doesn't really work. It works a little bit sometimes. We can force the mind into some space of tension <laughs> and kind of fix it to thing, but eventually we either get exhausted and burn out or it just breaks free. Uh, so the kind of stability we're looking for in practice is a very natural one. And it's one that comes from relaxation and a novel, genuine interest. What do I mean by that? Think about the last time you were interested in something and it held your attention. You were working on an art project or reading a book or cooking a meal. And you're really intent, really focused on what you're doing. Or another example I like to use, uh, you dropped your favorite mug and the handle broke off and you've got some crazy glue and you're gluing the handle back on, right? You're going to give that cup and handle in the moment that you're applying, you apply the glue and you've got the handle and you're going to put it on. You know you've got to hold it. You've got to get, get the porcelain to align just right. And you got to hold it steady for 30 seconds for that glue to bond. For those 30 seconds, your mind isn't wandering, right? You're right there, fully focused. You don't have to try very hard. You're not sweating and gritting your teeth. Why? Because you want to be there, right? That's the kind of, of energy we're looking to cultivate in our practice, is an, a natural interest with a, with a relaxation because we want to be here. So part of the work with shamatha practice, steadying and stabilizing the heart and mind, is this inner orientation. How do I find a way of being that is relaxed and interested? Like, hey, it's okay to be here. Let's just explore this. Let's see what happens if I just keep listening to sounds or just keep feeling the breath, just keep coming back with a a very light, patient attention. Let's see where this goes. So the first thing I would say is see if you can begin to explore that kind of orientation inside to the experience. 
The second thing is the anchor you're using. So the breath isn't always the best anchor for everyone, particularly if we have a relationship uh, with it where we tend to tighten or control or contract, if we have asthma or some you know, respiratory uh, challenges. <clears throat> so you, with the anchor, the purpose of the anchor is that it should be either pleasant or neutral, at the very least neutral, um, and available all the time. So sounds, the body, the breath. So you might explore a different anchor. So sound is a very, very useful one, particularly if you're finding that your, your mind is getting tight and controlling. Just listen to sounds. Let sounds come and go and focus on that receptive aspect of awareness. It doesn't take a whole lot of energy to listen, to hear, to receive sounds. Just keep noticing how light how lightly you need to apply your attention to hear sounds. It takes a little bit of energy and effort, but not that much. And sound is also, the field of hearing is quite wide, open, expansive, so that the tendency to narrow or contract is much less with hearing meditation. Right? You're not going to be sitting there sweating bullets. I've got to keep listening. Here, come on, here. Right? The way we can get really intent on our breathing. And just listen. Just keep listening. Just come back to listening. And this is a very profound metaphor for our practice, listening. It's very much what we're doing is is opening, listening, receiving. And there's a there's a natural quieting inside that needs to happen to listen. So you could you could try that with uh, with a, a sound with a different anchor. And then maybe the last thing I would say is you mentioned this jumping around, the attention jumping around. That's quite normal. That's quite natural. That's what we have trained our minds to do, um, both evolutionarily and personally. So evolutionarily, the thinking mind's job is to scan experience and keep track of things and make sure we're safe. So there's this kind of process that the mind is in the habit of doing just from how we've evolved, of checking things out, always checking things out, everything okay, is this going on, what's over here? So that kind of meandering, looking, searching attention is part of the function of the mind. It's what it's supposed to do for us. And then on top of that, most of us have trained ourselves in our day-to-day life to jump from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to be uh, continually focused on accomplishing tasks, and so that same momentum, that same action of attention just continues in meditation. So the process here is one of, of just observing that, just noticing that without making a problem out of it. <clears throat> There's nothing that's supposed to happen in your meditation. Meditation is about learning from experience. Everything is experience. So your mind's jumping around. Fine. Just notice that. Be aware of it. What's it like for the mind to jump around? It's the reaction to the jumping around, the judging yourself, the not liking it, the getting frustrated, the thinking it should be different, the I'm no good at this and I never will be and I'm such a failure and how long have I been meditating? That's the problem, not the mind jumping around. Right. So what if it weren't a problem that the mind were jumping around, that the attention were moving from one thing to the next? Okay, just give yourself some space to notice that. Let it jump around like a hyperactive little dog. And then say, hey, come on over here. Let's do this for a little while. Be with, the, be with hearing, 
starts jumping around again, okay, give it some space. Notice it, let it jump around, let it explore, and then come back again. So you can move between these different modes of just steadying and stabilizing with the hearing, getting interested in it, and then the mind gets restless. Okay, let it play around, just lighten up, ease off, see where it goes. And then on its own, it can start to come together. I want to offer, just in closing around this question, one analogy that the Vietnamese Zen teacher Thich Nhat Hanh uses, which is quite lovely, that it captures something about the process of settling the mind. So he talks about um, a glass of apple juice. I've got water here. We picture this as, um, say, apple cider with pulp in it. And he says, if you want to have clear, pure apple juice, what do you do? You don't stir it up. You just put that glass down on the counter and you let it sit there for half an hour. What happens if you just let it sit there? Well, all the pulp settles down to the bottom and you end up with this clear juice. So our mind and heart are the same way. We just want to sit it down. This is why we sit still. This is why we close the eyes or lower the gaze, just to reduce the sensory input. It's a very subtle kind of doing in meditation practice. It's not a complete non-doing, right? The glass has to be sitting on the table. So in this analogy, the heart and the mind, the, the steadiness is just holding the space of awareness. Just keep coming back to being here with this relaxed, patient, kind, interested attention. It's that stability of the inner orientation and intent to be present that creates the conditions for things to settle. Not pinning the mind on an object and forcing it. That's just going to stir things up more. So I hope that's helpful. Thank you everyone for joining today. Uh, As I said, I'll copy down the remaining questions and see how many of those we can fold in next week. And uh, feel free to join Caroline on Saturday uh, for her Q&A. The link is there in the chat to uh, the retreat page uh, at the Forest Refuge at IMS. Maybe last thing I'll share again is um, just the the gratitude for being able to share these teachings. Um, IMS and Caroline and myself are uh, really happy that we can connect with you. And uh, they're offered freely for anyone, for anyone and everyone. Uh, and if you're in a position to be able to support the Insight Meditation Society, um, there's always a, a welcome open door to, uh, to donate at dharma.org. So thanks so much. Take care and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.